Good morning. Uh, I just want to kind of give you a brief introduction to kind of how I came to this topic this morning. Um, basically, I was asked last fall to speak at youth camp this summer. And as I was thinking about that, I agreed to it and talked to Phil. Basically, there was one morning last fall where we were playing music here and Tom Wright said something that just kind of, I don't know if you've ever heard like something just visibly or just like, that's it. And Tom Wright said something as we were sitting there, um, and I said, that's what I need to speak on at camp next summer. And that's happened a couple times as it pertains to speaking at camps for me. Um, it's been very clear that this is what God would have me to speak on. And the theme that we're going to do at youth camp this summer is basically what you had talked about. It says the bargain of lies. And he, used, uh, he was talking about Isaiah 28. But basically, as I've thought about that, the bargain of lies and the price of truth as my theme for camp this summer, there's been one question that has really jumped out to me, and the question is the question of, is it worth it? You know, as I think about our youth, just to give you a little kind of update, our youth are, it's a very, very wide variety of kids that are coming to our youth group. There's a lot of different backgrounds and struggles and lifestyles and family situations that our kids are coming from. And as I've thought about our kids growing up and my own boys growing up, the things of this world are coming in at 100 miles an hour. And they are facing questions of what truth is. Is truth real? What's the reality of it? And they're being bombarded with all these things that are instant gratification, things that would satisfy immediately versus the long term. And we've all seen people come through the church, they've left the church, and all of a sudden they're doing their own thing because they didn't feel like it was worth it. The things of this world gained importance and, um, and they basically took precedence over truly following the Lord. And I see that battle that our kids are going to be facing when they get out of CBC, when they move on to college, when they move on to those things, as we've all faced, they're going to have to ask that question, is it worth it, right? And that's the reality. We ask that question all the time. Think about that question for a second. Is it worth it, right? We ask that question probably 100 times a day in our lives, either subliminally, sub, is that, <laughs> subliminally, or, that's a hard one to say, um, or just outwardly, right? I've talked to my son, Robbie, and I've talked to all my boys. They're all involved in sports, and they have been since they were really young. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love, love, love watching my kids play. I love it because I think there are such incredible lessons there that they have learned from teamwork to failure to losing to winning. There are so many lessons that my boys have learned over the years, some harder than others. But I can tell you recently, just Robbie's playing tennis for the, the Richardson High School. And he is on the JV team, and he's trying to work up the ladder, right? So I ask him, Robbie, how important is this to you? If it was really that important, this big garbage bag that we've got full of tennis balls, you would grab that, and you would go to the tennis court on your own every single day because it's worth it to practice and take 100 serves a day on your own outside of team practice. Up to this point, it's really not worth it, right? 
And I've said that to all my boys as it pertains to the sports. If it's worth it, hey, Andrew or Matthew, go out there and I will play catch with you or I will sit there and you can shoot the ball 100, 200, 300 times, however much you want to so that you can find success in this. Is it worth it? Maybe some of you have had the question asked for work, right? Is it worth it for you to climb the corporate ladder so that you can make it in the corporate world, despite the effect that it's going to have on your wife or your husband, despite the fact the, what it's going to do, that all the things that you're going to miss from your kids, is it worth it, right? And then, of course, the temptation of sin, right? We are bombarded continually on a day-to-day basis with the battle against sin, the immediate gratification of the sin that we face, Um, The immediate gratification for the sin that we face. Is it worth it to succumb to sin for that immediate pleasure? Or is it worth it to push that off and to follow God when those temptations arise in our life? We've all been there, right? I look around this room and I see people that have faced incredible trials, temptations, tribulations, heartache, difficulties in their lives. And we have all wrestled with that question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Right? I was talking with a good friend on Thursday night at Matthew's uh, baseball game. And he was telling me about his son. And his son has grown up in the church. And he has heard from the time that he was probably two or three years old till he could understand that God is good. He's been told that a million times. Is God good or God is good? Well, now he's in a situation in his life where he is facing incredible struggles, right? He is facing extra bills, maybe not sleeping a lot, trying to keep a certain regiment in his life, you know, and the extra and added stress. And he's having to wrestle with that question, is God truly good? Is it worth it? Is it real? And the cool thing is, is that he has come to the conclusion that regardless of the circumstance that I find myself in with my wife, with my child, with those things, yes, God is good. It is worth it. How amazing is that? We've all been there. We've all wrestled with the reality of God in our life. We have wrestled with the question of, is God real? Does he love me? Is it worth following him with my whole heart, with my whole mind, with my whole soul? The thing is, with God, there's no small print, right? If you were to think about the pharmaceutical industry, right, you see these great commercials, these guys frolicking around in the grass, and they got this nice, calm music in the background. They're saying, hey, this medication could do so much for you. And then like five seconds left in the commercial, you get Mr. Speed Talker that goes through all this list of all these different things, right? Possible diarrhea, possible vomiting, possible stroke, and in worst cases, death, right? But that's not the case with God. We know going in what it is that God is asking for us, of us. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. God doesn't hide things from us. 
He doesn't have this list that we can barely read on the back of a bottle, even with glasses, to hide things from us. He gives it straight out. This is what it's about. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There is no small print with God. And we must wrestle with the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to live by faith knowing what God expects of us? I can remember having a conversation with one of my friends, ultimate friends, and we were sitting at a table down, I don't even know where we were, but we were downtown Dallas and we were sitting there and basically he says, hey, I get it, man. I believe that this is the right way, but I'm just not ready. He knew what the commitment was. He understood what God was asking of him to lay it all aside and say, hey, you got to lay this all down and you got to follow me. He knew it, but for him at that point, it was not worth it. And to this day, as far as I know, it's still not worth it to him to lay aside the things of this world and to follow hard after what God is asking of us. So as I thought about this message and this question and the kids that we're going to be dealing with this summer at camp and our own kids at youth group and stuff like that, I was thinking about Psalm chapter 73. In Psalm chapter 73, if you want to turn there, we're not going to read it all at once. I'll kind of read it throughout this, uh, this message. But really, I think Psalm 73 is a real good picture of this question, is it worth it? You know, in Asaph's life, he was the author of this psalm. You know, that sin of unbelief was kind of creeping in. It was knocking at the door of Asaph's heart. And he was wrestling hard to the point where his feet almost slipped. And at the conclusion of the song, psalm, spoiler alert, he came to the conclusion, yes, it's worth it. So who is this Asaph? Well, Asaph, his name means that he is Je- Jehovah has gathered. He was a Levite and one of David's three chief musicians. You see that in 1 Chronicles 6 and 15 and 16. Basically, David appointed Asaph the chief minister before the ark of the Lord. It says in 1 Chronicles 6, 4 and 5, Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke to thank, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jeel, Shemarath, Jeel, uh, some other names, um, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. In essence, Asaph was one of the number one worship leaders before the ark in the temple. That's crazy. That's cool, Right? I mean, he was up here with Bob and Tom and these guys do up here to lead music. That's what he was doing. He was leading worship for them. David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Hermon and of Jeduth, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, with cymbals. Not only was he a musician, but it says that he prophesied through the music, through the playing of that music, right? He also was the author of 12 different psalms in the book of Psalms. These Psalms were attributed to Asaph. Asaph was a gifted servant of God, and he knew that the gift that he had been given was a gift from God, and he attributed that to him. So here we see in Psalm chapter 73, starting in verse 1, we see it says, certainly God is good to Israel and to those whose motives are pure. 
With Asaph being one of David's three chief musicians, he calls people together to give praise and testimony for God's deliverance from a challenging circumstance that he found himself in. He starts this psalm with the summary of what he believes, right? It's his theology. Surely or certainly God is good to Israel and to those whose motives are pure. Certainly God is good, right? That's the message that he says, and he starts with that. God's goodness was also what Asaph wrestled with in this psalm. Hey, he knows that God is good to the pure in heart, but he also wrestles deeply and struggles with this question as well in this psalm. What we see here is that he is resting and his foundation is that God is good. This coming after the fact that he has wrestled with and recounts his struggles with the question in this psalm. I was reading Steve Sanchez, his last message actually here at CBC before he went off to Emmaus was on Psalm chapter 73. And it's a great message. I would challenge you to go read it. Um, It's fantastic. Um, But he was saying, the picture you should have um, in mind in this verse is a group of people. Remember, his name means Jehovah's gathered. He's a worship leader, right? He says, the picture you should have in mind is, and with this verse is a group of people gathered around for a time of testimony. Someone comes to the microphone and says, man, alive. God is so good to those who do right. Man, I almost lost it out there. I almost wasted my life. Let me tell you what happened. And then the story begins. Think about this psalm, right? It's a time where he has gathered the people together and he is proclaiming testimony of God's goodness. And he says, hey, when I was out there, I almost lost it. I was this close to slipping. But the reality is, um, the reality is, hey, I made it, right? I made it through it. So at the outset of the psalm, Asaph is bringing testimony and setting the story straight from the start and giving testimony to God's goodness, his provision, his protection based on what we are about to hear him say. He is using the struggles that he faced to encourage the audience around him. He's using his testimonies to say, guys, it is worth it. God is good to the pure in heart. So what is Asaph's struggle? So we start in verse 2, the whole section here, 2 verses 12. Let me read this to you. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Here's a man, a worship leader, a man who's in service to the Lord, right? 
And he is despondent. He is discouraged. He's struggling with the difficulty of his life. And you know what? His perspective was off, was it not? His eyes were deceived because of his discouragement. It seems like when we're in that place or in that state of mind in our lives, things aren't always what they seem. Our discouragement flows into various facets of life and blurs our thought process. In his discouragement, he began looking around and became envious. He struggled with the prosperity of the wicked. Wait a second. God said he was good to the pure in heart. Yet look at these people. It seemed like God is good to them. They are prospering. Something's not adding up. Right? We've all seen that in our lives. We look around. We're struggling. We're battling all these things. We look around and we see, man, this guy's not struggling. He's got it all together. Look at his life. He is growing. He's got all this money amassed. He is working up the ladder, whatever it is. But the problem was for Asaph that he was envious of the wicked. So what did he observe? Well, he observed that the wicked prospered. He observed that seemingly they suffered no pain, that their bodies were well-fed and strong, seemed to be immune from trouble that we as common men face. They had this big old necklace of arrogance, right? You see these rappers out there that have these big old blinged out necklaces, and they carried around that with great swagger, right? This big old necklace of arrogance. They mock and say evil things. They speak nonsense as if they ruled heaven and had claim to earth. They have plenty and never go without. And they mock God. These people seemingly have it made. They are confident, so confident that they speak their mind without any regard for the consequences that come from it. They have money. They have the nicest clothes. They have the best health care. They don't seem to struggle like the rest of us in this world. They eat at the nicest restaurants. Everyone likes them. And people follow and want to be like them and are led into the same lifestyle that looks so appealing. They seemingly have it so easy and get rich, yet here's Asaph, yet here we are, struggling, despondent, discouraged, working my tail off and seemingly getting nowhere. So you see Asaph wrestling with this question, is it worth it, right? Asaph's problem was the apparent contradiction between his faith founded on God's goodness and the so-called facts that he was seeing with the wicked. I thought God was supposed to be good to the pure in heart, Israelite, but it looks like he was being good to the wicked as they were prospering. This goes back to the small print, right? It's not easy to follow God. He is very clear that we are called to follow him regardless of the cost. He never promises us a life of ease, prosperity, but he does promise us, which we will see here in a little bit, that we will, he will be with us. That's why I love, love, God is amazing. If you think about our worship service this morning, it was all about this. Stan stood up and said exactly what I just said. How cool is that, that the Spirit of God continues a theme through the whole morning? 
We've all been there. We've all asked that and wrestled with that question. Is it worth it? We've all been in this place where Asaph is standing right now in this psalm. Is God real? Is he really good? How are these people over here prospering where I'm struggling? And he's wrestling with that. And we see here in the next few verses that Asaph is nearing the edge, right? In verses 13 through 16, he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand this, all this, it troubled me deeply. Here is a man who is struggling deeply emotionally. He is afflicted, struggling to justify why he has kept his heart pure. This was a huge crisis in faith, right, for him. He is questioning his faith, doubting it. What he sees does not make sense. And in verse 2, it says that he almost slipped. I don't know if you've ever been walking. There's a section by our house where if you walk, and I don't know what's coming out of this guy's yard, but there's a section that's really, really slippery. And we have to walk very lightly or else, whoo, you know, you're going for a ride. And we've all been there, right? We've all stepped on the slippery log or the slippery walk rock, and we've gone down and, you know, either done damage or felt utterly embarrassed. The reality is, it's kind of like that with him. He's at a slippery place where his feet are almost slipping, right? And what holds him back? What holds him back from continually going through this? And I love this section, and this is probably one of the biggest things that jumped out to me. Um, in this section. What holds him back is in verse 15. If I would have spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. That's amazing to me. And it really came to light actually reading um, some of Bob's message on this. Bob spoke on this too. He did not want to lead the community, the congregation, the assembly astray. He could have easily articulated his doubts in a very convincing and moving way that could have led others astray. But he held back long enough to get to the temple where he was faced with the ultimate truth. The pain and struggle is real that Asaph is facing. And in behind-the-scenes way, the thought of leading God's children astray aided in him finding the true solution to the question he was facing. It helped keep him from accepting what he was seeing through envious eyes. And this is a great quote by Bob, actually, and I read this, and I just think it's so pertinent for us to think about. It says, how often in the name of honesty or more piously a prayer request, we share unsettling questions and problems only to create difficulties for others. I am deeply impressed with the honesty of the psalmist on the one hand and his sense of discretion on the other. Think about that. When the confession of his sins could aid his fellow saints, he did so. But when, he is, but when this would only tempt others, he agonized alone. Until he had the answer, he sought. I think there's great wisdom in that. I want you to think about that. We struggle, and there is a time to share our struggles that aid in the benefit of those around because we've come to the conclusion that God is good. But if your struggles and those kind of things are so apparent and hard, maybe it's time that you just settle down and you battle those alone with you and God so as to not be convincing to someone else and lead them astray. 
This is a big thing in Asaph's life. It wasn't the answer to his question, but it aided in him finding the solution to the problem that he was facing. Right? And we see here now he is expressing what he went through. He's got these people around. He is sharing his testimony with them to proclaim God is good. He has delivered me through this. He didn't necessarily share it when he was in the midst of leading worship that he was battling with these questions because at that point in time, maybe it would have led someone else astray to follow the wicked. But instead, he waited until he had the answer and he shared it and it aided in the benefit and the encouragement to those around him. There is great importance and value in testimony. You guys have all gone through things that would aid our body and encourage them saying, God is good and here is the example in my life where I've come to that conclusion through what God has shown me. I love this part though too. He comes to this vision of truth, right? He's just gone through this whole thing. He said his feet have almost slipped. And then what does he say in verse 17 through 22? Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You can cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When he went into the presence of God, he was able to see the end of the story, was he not? He was able to see who wins it all. Because of his discouragement and focus on the wrong things, he had forgotten um, and couldn't see properly. But when his focus changed and when he went into the presence of God, wow, the lights turned on and his life, view, heart, eyes were radically changed to see the truth. I brought this up here because I think it symbolizes what this is all about, right? Every week, what do we do? We come to this table. We've got the bread and we've got the wine. And what does it represent? It represents the blood and body of Jesus Christ that was crushed for our sins. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. Every week we come here, why? So that we can be reminded on what Christ has done. That it is not about this temporal world, this place, it's about the eternal It's about being with Christ forever and ever. It refocuses us and reminds us to not be envious of the wicked and their prosperity, that theirs is slippery. They're going down to destruction. But we as believers have a God who is with us, who is real. It wasn't until he went into the temple, and it wasn't the temple that was magical. It was the fact that he went into the presence of, of God. He worshiped. He was reminded about what life was all about. He was reminded that it was about God and that God was completely in control. He was able to see what was really going on and that God was in complete control even of the wicked and their so-called prosperity. He realized all was not as it seemed. He realized what? That the wicked person's feet were the ones on slippery ground that God would cast them down to ruin. 
They will be destroyed and suddenly be swept away by terrors. They are but dust. It wasn't until he went into the presence of God where his attitude, his heart was changed and adjusted and he was able to see properly. When we come every Sunday morning and we sit here and we look at the table, our hearts hopefully are adjusted and realigned to realize what life is all about. And we can share with great testimony that God is good. And we heard that this morning, did we not? We sat here for 45 minutes to an hour worshiping and praising the fact that God is good and that it's worth it. He gets a new perspective. He really does. When we look at verses 21 through 28, um, we can kind of look at those. Basically, in these verses, and I'll read them here in a second, it says, in verse 21, it says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. With this new perspective that he's come into the presence of God, basically with this new perspective and a change of focus, we see a change in Asaph as well. This new perspective brought shame and humility and brokenness because he was deceived and he almost slipped. Why? Because he envied the wicked. When he was brought into the presence of God, he was brought into the attention of his own sin. He recognized it and realized it, and there was great humility and brokenness there. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute before you. Right? When we come into contact with God, we realize who we are, that we're just men that we fall down as broken men because we see our utter sinfulness. And that's what happens here with Asaph. Also, with his new perspective, he was reminded of the promises that he ignored as he was struggling with his discouragement. I think a lot of times when we get into that mindset, we're discouraged or whatever, we forget what God has promised us. It says here in verse 23, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. What an incredible promise that we have. Right? We talked about that this morning in worship in the boats. God was with them in the midst of the storm. He was with them. And we see that here. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. How amazing are the promises that God has given us. And I think when we're bound in discouragement and looking at all the things that we're not supposed to be looking at, instead of looking at God, we forget and we miss the promises that God has laid out before us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he is always with us, that he will guide us and direct us, that he will provide and protect us, right? Those are amazing things, and all of us in this room hopefully can point to incredible promises that we rely upon in God's word. Also, with this new perspective, he speaks aloud with the incredible passion and exuberance, with great amazement in these verses of all the incredible gifts, of all the amazing things. I have God, right? Think about all you have. None of it pales to the fact that we have God. And he comes to that conclusion, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart 
and my portion forever. What an amazing proclamation Asaph makes here. He says, I've got nothing except you, and that is all I need. None of these things that the world has to offer comes even close to the gift that I have in knowing you, the God of the universe, the amazing God. I love that section too at the end there. It says, my portion. Asaph was a Levite, was he not? Um, when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 9, it says, when the tribes of Israel were given their allotments of land, the priestly tribe of Levi was assigned none. Instead, God promised that he himself would be their portion and their inheritance. They could find complete satisfaction in him and trust him to supply their every need. I think that's so important. God is the portion of our heart. He is all that we need. And he provides all that we need in our lives. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What powerful words these are. Oh, that all of our hearts would claim these words, that we would be so overtaken with the beauty, the presence, the magnitude of our great God that the things of this world would, would wane in comparison to Him, that nothing in this world would pull your desires away from the living and true God. Think about this verse in Matthew. Matthew 13, 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that land or that field. He sees the incredible value that he's willing to sell everything. Everything. Because of the beauty of what he has experienced and what he has. May we be that same people that we're willing to sell everything, lay aside everything aside to follow wholeheartedly after the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You will not be disappointed. Spoiler alert, it is worth it. If you were to ask Tommy Collins right now, is it worth it? What would he say? If you were to ask Jennifer's mom, is it worth it? What would she say? If you were to ask Charlene Graham, what would she say? Right. It's worth it. They're in the presence of the almighty God. It's worth it. It's amazing. Asaph concludes the psalm by proclaiming to his audience during this time of testimony what he has learned. And he reminds us of that, right? He says, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. Right? That's the conclusion. And it summarizes the whole psalm. All who are far from you, they're going to perish. They may look like they're prospering, but they're standing on slippery ground. And they're going to fall and fall hard, and they'll be separated from God forever in eternity. But as for me, as a child of God, it is good for me to be near God. Plain and simple. It is good for me to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. 
That's his concluding statement. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. You destroy all who are faithful to you. Those who are far from you die. Even those men that look like they're prospering and are excelling in all areas of life, they lose, period. They do not win. And he concluded that all he needed was God. If we could come to that same conclusion in our life, that all we need is God, that would be amazing. It was good to be near God. The sovereign Lord was his refuge, his hiding place, his rock, and he wanted to tell all the people the great and wonderful deeds God has done. That's the beauty of sharing your testimony. That's the beauty of sharing what God has done in your life, just like Asaph has done here. He's like, come around, come on, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you something that I struggled with and faced and overcame, and my testimony is that God is good. So is it worth it? Is it worth giving up the things of this world to cling to the one true God? To cling to the God who sent his son to the world to take our punishment, our sin upon himself, so that we could have our debt paid in full. So that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. So that we could be forgiven and made clean. So that we could have an eternal inheritance. It should be a profound yes. It is worth it. I want to finish reading these verses at the end of the Bible. And these verses are simple, but they're very clear and very profound. Revelations chapter 22, verses 6 through 20. And the angel said to me, These words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophet, sent his angel to show his servant the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes they, that they may have right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves the practices of falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take of the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the trees of life and in the holy city, which is described in the scroll. 
He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Is it worth it? It is. Plain and simple. I can't make the decision for you. You have to wrestle with that on your own. You have to come into the presence of God and see that He is good and He is kind and He is gracious and He is merciful and He is abundant. He is a great and almighty God. I would like to close this in prayer and I would covet your prayers as well as I continue to chew on this as I think about camp this summer, um, I just would covet your prayers in just the preparation and the message that will go forth to our young people. None of us want to see our young people go astray. None of us want to see them make a bad choice and do that. And so my desire, my heart, is that God would just speak abundantly at camp this summer. Our kids need it. I can't tell you guys that enough. Our youth are struggling, and they're facing things that are inexplainable, make no sense to me. They're mind-boggling. It's amazing the corruption of sin and the corruption that it goes into the minds of the people around us. And uh, I would just really covet your prayers, especially for our young people, um, that they may see and understand and wrestle with and love the Creator. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for Asaph's testimony. What an incredible testimony it is. I just pray, Lord, that we as a body would encourage each other, build one another up, push one another towards love and good deeds as we consider the great works that you've done in our own life, how you've protected and provided, how you've ministered to us. I pray, Lord, that we would be quick to share those things that would encourage and build up the body. Lord, I do thank you for your word and for the power that it exhibits. I thank you for giving us life and life abundant. I thank you for forgiving us and giving us... uh, just joy and peace and hope in the midst of a chaotic world. Lord, you are kind and we love you. I pray for our young people, especially those that are in California. I ask and pray that you'd watch over and protect them. May this be a life-changing event where they see you as real as real can be, where they see you in the power of your spirit, that they see great conversations occur, that they see fruit, that they see salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would just do a mighty work in California with these kids. Uh, this week. May you protect them and use them. May they find just great peace as they spend time alone with you each day. May you jump off the pages of your word uh, to their hearts and lives, and may you just uh, reveal yourself to them in real sweet ways. Lord, I pray that the fruit would continue as well for Dan and Cindy, for Scott and Lynn, for Mike and his wife, family, for the other people that are ministering out there. May the fruit from this week provide greater and greater and greater fruit for them as they minister to these people. May it be an encouragement to them. Uh, May you continue to use that in their lives. We just pray for camp this summer. Pray for VBS. We pray for all the things that these young people are involved in. I just ask and pray, Lord, that you would just encourage these young men and women that you are worth it, that you are a God who cares for them, who has crafted them uniquely, who loves them. And I pray, Lord, that these uh, young men and women would follow hard after you all the days of their life. In your name I pray, amen.